And welcome back for another episode of the Axe Network podcast. And we're excited this evening. We have with us uh, two very special guests. Uh, they pastor in the New Orleans, Louisiana area, and that is Pastor Philip McKee and his wife, Jasmine. Uh, they pastor the NOAA work. It's a home missions work there in the city of New Orleans uh, in the Lower Ninth Ward. And NOAA stands for New Orleans Apostolic Haven. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit with Pastor uh, and Sister McKee about their ministry, uh, how God has used them over the last few years. And they're also going to be sharing with us their testimony. And so for all of you listeners out there, uh, I want you to stay tuned. I feel like this podcast will be a blessing to you. I feel like if, if you're looking for hope, uh, maybe you feel like you've you've gone too far. Maybe you feel like that 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 God just isn't concerned with where you're at any longer, or, or you feel that you've just done too much. Uh, I want to give you hope this evening. Uh, once you hear the testimony of Pastor and Sister McKee, I believe that you're going to get an understanding that God loves you, and there's not any length to which He would not go to see you saved. And uh, I want to introduce our guest, uh, Pastor McKee. Are you with us? Yes, sir. I'm here. Praise God. God bless you, my friend. Yes, sir. Glad to be here. If you don't mind, I want you to take just a moment. I want you to introduce yourself. I want your wife to introduce herself. Uh, give us give us a little brief history about what it is you guys are doing down there in New Orleans. And uh, tell, tell us a little bit about how the work is going, what kind of revival reports you guys are having, and uh, let the listeners know what the location is, uh, what the work consists of, and then we'll kind of just uh, go from there. How about that? That sounds great, but I don't know if I can tell about all God's blessings briefly, but I'll give it a shot. Praise God. Amen. So um, so we've been, uh, we're here in New Orleans, the Lower Ninth Ward, and uh, we, we have started this work with the help of God. Um, the actual day that the church was established was December 29th, 2019. And, um, we started with just simple home Bible studies, uh, having people over to our home to eat and talk about God, making connections in the neighborhood that we lived in. Um, to start out with, we, we purposely moved to the lower ninth ward to establish those relationships when we moved to uh, New Orleans. And, um, from there, we started having um, outdoor services. We started off with midweek services in our home, and then that escalated into um, outdoor services where we moved from uh, one location to a, a better location. And then eventually we connected with a local uh, Baptist pastor, and he allowed us to use his building for quite a while. And then the Lord really uh, told us to go back outside. We didn't really understand why. Um, so then, you know, that's a whole testimony in itself, but, uh, we ended up acquiring a piece of property and some chairs and some tents and things like that. And so we are having, uh, outdoor church. The address to our church is 1501 Benton street. That's in the lower ninth ward. It's right on the corner of North Robinson and Benton. It's a square grass patch with a homemade altar on it. So you can't miss it. Praise God. And I'm going to, uh, allow my wife to introduce herself real quick. I am Jasmine McKee, and um, we co-pastors in New Orleans Apostolic Haven, and um, a little bit about 
myself or really about us to add to what he said is that um, we've had some experience with um, independent missions. And then uh, from there, the Lord progressed our ministry into um, evangelism, which the Lord allowed us to see 43 states, Puerto Rico and Canada. That was just by the help of the Lord. Um, and from there, yes, he did send us here to plant a work. At first, I was very nervous. Um, and I'll probably go into that more with my testimony later, but I know now beyond a shadow of a doubt that God definitely called us here for such a time as this. Um, our revival has been really taken off, especially in the last couple of months. Um, really, if, to be honest with you, more like the last month. Um, it has just completely just been ignited and has escalated and it's amazing to see the work of God um, in the lives of each and every one of our members and really beyond, even into some of their families as well. We are encouraged to see what the Lord is going to continue to do. Susan, Noah work. Um, we also have a food pantry. Um, another part of our ministry is that we do believe in feeding both spiritually and physically with our services. And so we actually serve hot meals. Um, believe it or not, that actually has grown our church. Some people actually started coming just for the hot meal. And believe it or not, God filled them with the Holy Ghost and they got baptized on the side of the road. You know, it's kind of crazy and in a hot trough at that. And so, you know, um, revival has a different image um, in the 21st century and in the last days. He said he'd pour out a spirit upon all flesh and I'm really encouraged to see um, the fruitfulness of just that. It, it really is all for us. And um, we're encouraged going forward um, to see what else the Lord has in store for New Orleans Apostolic Haven and the ministry going forward. Amen, amen. As a whole missions pastor, I can attest to the fact that <laughs> if you feed them, they will come. Amen. 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 Um, I wish that was only a spiritual application, but right. that is also a very physical application. Um, and if it's good food, they stick around. Amen. 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 I'll tell you what, <laughs> we have converted a lot of people to the truth through fried chicken, right. pot roast and Amen. chicken and dumplings and gumbo and all these different uh, things oh, yeah. that we would, we would share. God. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, and it does cost a substantial amount of money to, to be able to do something yeah. like this. I don't think people really realize the investment, both of your time, your finances, your family, when it comes to planning a new work, when you're uh, and I, I'm not I'm not negating or taking away from the hardships of pastoring any church. But there's a big difference between uh, stepping in, stepping into an, an established work, and inheriting something, eating from vineyards you didn't plant, and uh, you know things of that nature, uh, and planning a church. Because when you go right. to a place and you plant a church, um, it's extremely difficult. It's taxing on you spiritually, mentally, emotionally, financially. 
And so I want our I want our uh, listeners out there to uh, make sure at the end of this podcast that you get your pen and paper. And I want you to write down some information so as you can stay in touch with these fine folks. And if the Lord lays it on your heart, I want you to be a blessing to them. I want you to send them an offering. And uh, I want you to sow seed into what they're doing in the New Orleans area. If there's any place in the southern United States that needs revival, New Orleans, Louisiana needs revival. Um, it, it's Amen. a city that has been plagued by sin uh, and and uh this catastrophic uh, disasters uh, that have come to that city over the last uh, really 20 years uh, in the yeah. way of uh, inclement weather and, and uh, all the different hurricane Katrina and just all the different things that uh, have happened over the years uh, with new Orleans. Uh, but there's hungry people in new Orleans. There's hungry people. That's there's right. people that need to be saved. And so listeners, That's I want right. you to get involved in this work. They're going to, give you some information on how you can stay in touch with them. Uh, and, and so I, w- I would encourage you to to do that, to, to get involved and, and to sow seed into this uh, ministry of these fine folks. Uh, Pastor McKee, I, I want you to take just a, a little while, and I want you to share your testimony. I want, I want you to share with our listeners how it came about that you ended up coming to an apostolic church and being exposed to truth. I want you to talk about how God filled you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, Take us on that journey. And uh, also, I want Sister McKee to be able to share her testimony about how she came uh, to the Lord and and how God brought you from where you were at uh, to where you are today. So take your time and just just share with us. Well, praise God, brother. I appreciate the opportunity. to share, and I've done a lot of praying about this, and I just have to say, first and foremost, what what I speak about in my past, I, I'm giving no glory to it. I am uh, I'm giving no credit. I'm I'm not glorifying what I've done, what I've been, or what I've endured in any way, shape, or form. And I don't want anybody to, out there listening to get the idea that I'm, you know, boosting it up. Because that's definitely not what I'm doing. But um, I, uh, so I'll just start from the beginning. I was born in um, Compton, California, in South Central Los Angeles. And um, as a kid, <clears throat> we we moved to Mississippi when I was about six years old. We moved to uh, West Jackson to uh, the Grove Apartment. So I joke around and tell people we moved from the hood to the hood. And, um, you know, the, the Grove wasn't nothing nice. It was a pretty rough spot, a lot of... Uh, murders happened back there and a lot of drug dealing and things like that. And, um, we were there for a couple of years and then we moved to South Jackson over off of uh, McDowell road. If anybody's familiar with Jackson out there. And, um, that's where I spent a good amount of my childhood. And, um, you know, I battled with a lot of things in my life and, um, I can say that they all stemmed from my childhood and, which is one of the reasons why we, we raise our children the way that we do and, and why we pour into our children spiritually the way that we do is because of things that have happened um, in childhood that can make all the difference as you, if you're an adult. And um, so at the age of six years old, I um, was exposed by a family member and all these names out and descriptions just, to, just in case they hear this one day. Um, but I was exposed by a family member at the age of six years old to pornography. 
And um, it truly changed um, the way I looked at women, the way I looked at everything. And um, it wasn't explained to me. It was just I was handed a magazine and and I was pretty much told to figure it out. And, um, you know, soon after that, um, we, we, we got a, a computer as a family and, um, you know, then the searches began and, and the things began to be looked at and, and things like that. And it really just destroyed my mind as a child and took my innocence away as a child. And, and, um, by the age between eight and 10 years old, I, um, I began to, uh, drink alcohol and, uh, seek after just love and affection that I was not getting at home. Now I was raised by both of my parents and uh, they both had a job and they both worked that job every day. And so it it gave me and uh, I have one older brother and so it gave me a lot of free time to uh, look into things and try things and things like that. And so there was always alcohol in the home somewhere. So I began to drink alcohol at a very young age. And um, I began to hang out with the older guys on the street and live next door and across the street. And I say older, they were only just a few years older than me. But in my eyes, they were adults, you know. And So little did I know, all these guys, drug dealers and gangbangers. And um, again, I, I, was, I grew up in the ghetto. And uh, so I began to hang out with these guys. And I began to learn from them the different lingo and street smarts and uh, different, different, things about drugs and whatnot and so by around the age of 13 i began to sell drugs myself and i began to use them also and um, it started out i was just selling you know weed on the corner like the other guys were and uh, doing selling it at school and stuff and and uh, by the time i was 15 16 years old that really escalated into harder drugs more uh, pills and things like that and uh, that's when I began to really see the violent, dangerous side of, um, of that lifestyle when I was around 15, 16 years old. Um, that's when uh, I got shot at the first time, was about 16 years old. And um, I thank God those bullets missed me, but in, uh, in all reality, they, they should have they hit me. I was that close. And, um, you know, that just life just escalated from there and things got progressively worse. Um, I started carrying guns on me where I went, you know, having weapons on me everywhere I went. And, um, the age of 17, I, um, you know, I was gang banging and drug dealing and I got into a uh, fight at school, which ended up becoming a riot. And, um, uh, there was about, I don't know, a dozen of us or so fighting all at the same time to two rival neighborhood gang just crossed half and that's the end of it and uh so i got expelled from school i got kicked out and told i can never go back to a public school in the state of mississippi as long as i live and so i i ended up just hitting the streets real hard and um selling drugs at a high rate of speed a lot of drugs at, at one time and um you know i, I thank god i never ever got caught um, and I say that loosely because I know some people that did get caught in, and, and it's unfortunate, but I'm, I'm grateful that I never got caught. I, I, um, there have been chances where I was pulled over and, uh, you know, Jackson police department knew who I was and knew what I drove and they knew what I did. They just could never find me with anything. And I've been pulled over on the side of the interstate with a gun in my face or 
my car. And I've, I've been at the drug house when I was about 18 years old when I was about two in the morning and all of a sudden all the streetlights go out and then you're surrounded by uh, the big black SUVs and the helicopter in the sky with a spotlight on you. And, you know, all the guys getting out with their machine guns, pointing a machine gun on the ground. And, you know, I, I know what it's like to be in that situation because I, I was there. Um, you know, like I said, luckily they never caught me with anything because, you know, I just, I hate to say it this way. And again, I'm not giving them glory, but I kind of knew what I was doing. And I've been around it long enough to say, okay, this is how you don't do it. And this is how you do do it. And um, let's see. I was, um, again, the entire time that I was in that drug scene, I had a raging pornography addiction that was only, it, it was never attempted to be distinguished. It was only fueled more and more and more as I got older. And, um, you know, I, I connected when I was about 18. I connected with this uh, guy. Um, he was a photographer, and um, I, he, he was trying to get his photography business off the ground and trying to take pictures of, of young ladies that were trying to get into modeling and things like that. And we developed a friendship that started out as uh, just me trying to hustle the guy. And, um, you know, next thing I know, he's telling me he'll pay me for every woman I bring in there to take pictures. And so, I um, I just began to hustle young ladies and uh, getting them to come take pictures. And unfortunately, I would take advantage of them in that situation. And um, and um, I'm sorry, I got distracted. I would uh, <clears throat> unfortunately take advantage of them in that situation. Kind of, I did this for you. Now, what's that for me? Situation. And um, so, when I was about 20 years old. Um, got shot at again, and this time it was very close to hitting me. And again, I thank God every single day that these bullets did not hit me. Um, you know, I've been in many fights. I've been stabbed. I've been, uh, you know, I've been jumped. I've been, you know, beat up by the police. I've, I've been through a lot. Um, but every time I was shot at, they would come real close where I can feel the heat from the bullet, but they would never hit me. And, um, I was about 20 years old and um, I started I started working at a restaurant and um, a young lady walked in and I first laid eyes on her and I just, you know, yeah, I got I to gotta hustle her. I got to get what I want out of her. You know, that's kind of the mentality that I had. And it was, it was all because of the pornography addiction that I had. I had, um, I was in deep with that stuff and it was, it was toxic and it was killing me and I did not even know it. And, um, but little did I know that young lady would change my life and I'm going to let her talk for, um, a little while about, about how she come up because that young lady I met that day would become my wife. So I don't want to go any further and give the full details of how we both grew in the Lord. I'll let her, um, pass her the phone so she can. I'll speak on her behalf, if that's all right. Amen. So, um, I grew up, um, well, let me start really from where, from where it really all starts for anybody. When I was born, I was born here in this city, New Orleans, 
um, to a teenage unwed drug addicted mother. Um, you know, as I've said to other people in the past, even preaching and teaching about my situation, you know, um, statistically, from just that information, a child born to a teenage drug addicted unwed mother, um, statistically, they say that I will repeat that process. Um, they say that they have it all figured out from just those demographics. They know how the end plays out more times than not. And truthfully, they are correct. Um, I was left in the hospital um, because of the, the, the situation that was at, at play. And um, my, what would be my, my natural grandmother um, was in an abusive relationship as she has relayed the story and that uh, man insisted which I ended up calling dad um, insisted on me coming home uh, with them and um, for the first five years of my life or almost five years of my life um, we bounced around the different neighborhoods of New Orleans um, very deplorable neighborhoods, to be honest with you. We, um, everything kind of, you know, it's like four years old or so. Um, our house was raided um, because it was alleged that my father was doing drugs or whatnot. And so they came looking for him. And, you know, there was a lot of arguing growing up. And just in those early, early years, you know, a lot of, domestic violence and you know unfortunate but it, it is it's a part of the way it started for me at um right before I turned five or maybe slightly after um my mom which like I explained from here on out I'll call her my mom I which was my maternal grandmother she did legally adopt me making me her legal daughter and so from here on out, I'll call her my mother. My mother left him, and uh, I remember her um, looking at this little picture of Jesus on the wall. She was a devout Catholic, um, but a very violent and angry person, likely because of all of the difficulties she had experienced. But she looked at that little picture, and she, she cursed at him. Never forget that. And she said, you know, with a lot of explicit, you know, why, why, why don't you love me? Why do you keep letting this abuse happen to me? And he just walked out. We, we took our little bag and we walked to the bus station, got on the bus, went to a battered women's shelter. We lived there for a while. And that's where my memories really began to pick up. Before, though, we had left that house with my father was the first time I was ever sexually abused by another family member it wasn't either one of them it was another family member and I remember hiding under a chair and not understanding what had really taken place um, but as life would go on we moved from the battered women's shelter 
they help you into an apartment. And um, from that apartment, she, there was a lady that lived upstairs. Um, she was a member of a church, an apostolic church. My mom had already started going to like a non-denominational uh, church, you know, and they had exposed her to something other than Catholicism. But she still had a lot of anger towards the Lord, her own self, and uh, a lot of questions. But she began to learn that she loved the, the Word of God because Catholicism back then wouldn't allow you to read the Bible. So she would start these little home Bible studies and whatnot. And this is, like I said before, she became apostolic. But the upstairs neighbor was apostolic. They were the product of a bus ministry um, that had came and knocked our apartment complex. Um, very much the hood, <laughs> uh, but they had knocked those doors before we had moved in. And um, the gentleman that drove the bus would come and pick them up. Well, one particular day, bus didn't run because it was broke down. My mom had a car. The upstairs lady said, "Hey, um, can you take me to church?" And it was a Hispanic woman. Um, my mom is Puerto Rican, and so they kind of hit it off in, in a friendship of, you know, in, in that like-mindedness. And um, she said, well, here, let me tell you before I even start my car, um, I'm Catholic. Even though she was going to a non-denominational church, she, she always identified as Catholic. She says, I'm Catholic. I'm not going in there. Don't invite me in there. I'll bring you, drop you off with your kids and I'll come back and I'll get you. Well, by the time it was May <laughs> um, in sunny New Orleans, and so <laughs> as you know, it's hot down here in the summer and it don't take no time to get there. Well, when we got to the church, the car died in the driveway and the ushers came out and they told her, well, we'll help you uh, get it going after church. And she said, oh, that's fine. I'll sit right here in the car. She was determined not to go inside. Well, it got too hot, so she decided she'd just go and sit on the back row. And I kid you not, she was filled with the Holy Ghost, um, literally. Not even supposed to be at church that day. God filled her with the Holy Ghost. Um, but she struggled, and that struggle came out in my test in, in the testimony that I'm fixing to give you. Um, as the years went on. Um, later on that same year, I was five years old. I was filled with the Holy Ghost in our living room, December the 30th, 95. And um, unfortunately, she had went to get her sister um, from the projects of New Orleans. And uh, she allowed them to live with us. And unfortunately, her husband began to sexually abuse me from five um, that continued on to 15. As the years went on, it, it just progressively got worse. Um, and he taught his son eventually to do the same. And it was, it was, it was a horrible lifestyle. Um, 
my uh, mother had a ministry of sorts. She would, there was this program that she would teach, Christian intervention program. She'd go in the prisons and she would preach that. And um, she then allowed some of the people when they would come out of jail, some of the ladies that she had bonded with over time to live in a home with us. And she would, um, she would force them to, we would have to, I would have to share the bed with them in a home. And unfortunately they were abusing me as well. And I just felt like a commodity and I knew, I, I honestly felt like that was normal. It had to be normal for all these adults around me to be doing things like this. And I, I truly, I truly, truly did not. I did not really realize this. I was about 12 years old when I was told that I was adopted. I didn't know that until then. And even in that, I was, the way I was told was very toxic. I was told, you know, see, they kept your sibling, but they didn't keep you because they didn't want you. Now, I know that now to be not true, that there were some legal situations there with how I was born and and all this kind of other stuff that that's why she couldn't keep me. But the fact of the matter is, is I was receiving rejection again. And um, I had no value for myself. And in not having a value for myself and believing that I wasn't valued by myself or anyone else around me, it allowed me to go down a very dark path. I did report things to the police. Um, to school teachers, to this, you know, here and there and yet everywhere. At one point, I was even taken out of my home by Child Protective Services, and people in the church had to take me for quote-unquote cool-off periods. You know, um, my mother had, you know, a lot of people believing that I was a liar, and, you know, it, it I was crazy, and you know, she could never allow people to do this act and be these, this way to me and that I didn't know what I was talking about. And unfortunately, some of them even still believe it to this day. And there was an awakening that took place, you know, within these last few years. But um, truthfully, it, it hurt me. It damaged me to, you know, hear all these people think that we're living this holy Christian life at home and as soon as the door shut I'm, I'm, I'm being sexually abused by family members or these ladies that she's got living in the house in the prison or she herself is beating me and uh, at one point I even had to go live with my pastor I will be honest with you and I'll tell you that that time that I spent with my pastor and his wife and I could see that healthy relationship and, and my pastor didn't even know how bad it was. I, I know he didn't. I know they didn't. And I do not fault them for um, anything. But I will say that that experiencing just that short time of my life in their home had an, a profound impact on seeing what it's like to have a truly Christian home. And I think that's why I'm able to have one today. But going back to the the testimony of it, um, about the time that I was 14, 
about a year before Katrina happened, Hurricane Katrina, that is, um, it got really bad. Um, and I started to try to commit suicide. Um, I was really crying out for help because it, I felt like at that point, nobody or anybody that I told, they were all going to believe her because my mom worked inside the prison with the ladies. They saw her every week. And so they were like, they believed her. They believed her. And um, that affected the investigation. Um, I remember her telling them that, that she couldn't press charges against my family members because the Bible says you can't take your brother to law. Like she was, it, it was amazing how it was, she was able to um, discover what was truly going on. Um, but I still believe God was there with me somewhere because I'm still here today, right? So I know that he had to be there somewhere. I had a, very, a lot of moments with the Lord, you know, why are you giving me to the devil on a silver platter? You don't love me. I, I truly felt like the Lord didn't love me. And by the time I was 15, May 15 in March, and uh, Hurricane Katrina happened in August, those last few months um, before Hurricane Katrina were horrific. Um, my mother was an obese woman, and um, she told me that I was possessed, and she had somebody from the church come over. And um, they were, I guess, going to perform some sort of exorcism on me. And she laid on top of me to try to, she said she was squashing the demons out of me. I literally, I literally thought I was going to die that day. And that was the first of several times in my life where it really got that way. I went to the police. And they didn't believe me because I had, you know, I had started hitting her back when she would, would hit me and hurt. You know, this was more than spanking. This was just downright abuse. I remember being put into the back of the police car one day and shamed by the police officer. How dare you do this to your precious mother? Um, I'm going to haul you off for abuse to the elderly. And. I, I literally hit rock bottom. I know they didn't see that then, but instead I was put into this place called Noah, which was New Orleans Apostolic, not New Orleans Apostolic Haven like we have today. It was New Orleans Adolescent Hospital. And God really actually dealt with me there um, because they they could see that I was not this crazy person. I was not this psychopath, I, I was truly being abused. And this was just months, maybe maybe even two months before Katrina happened. And I remember having somebody in a, in a group session with other girls and stuff speak about God, but God in a different way than I had ever heard on an apostolic pew. You have to realize, I was an apostolic from five to 15, all this time that I'm being going through this abuse, I experienced it from an apostolic pew. And I don't know what it was about that adolescent hospital moment that rattled me 
but it was something something caught that people people make their own choices and it's not for, for once I thought maybe it's not God maybe maybe it's just people and while that may not seem like a monumental thought uh, it was a grounding thought and I'll explain that later um, I remember coming out of there and um, I had a faith in prayer after that experience and I truly hit my knees at 15 years old and I said God I can't take any more of this I, I can't I am going to die because I'm going to kill myself I can't go through not one more experience like this and I said God if, if, if you're there you're anywhere and you can hear me get me out of this situation separate me from my abusers and I kid you not, it was in very short order that Hurricane Katrina happened. Now, as life would have it, we had to evacuate from here, living in southern Louisiana, and we ended up in Texas. And um, I, I was very, I felt very free there because no one knew my mother and she didn't work in you know the jail there and I told her I said listen I was homeschooling because you know all the records got lost in the the flood and everything but I told her listen I'm going to finish my high school when I finish my high school no matter how fast I finish it I want emancipation and if you don't emancipate me then I'm going to go to the Dallas Police Department I'm going to tell them about everything you put me through these last years and I think she knew that I was serious and I was serious and so we made a deal that if I would finish school she'd emancipate me I'd go one way she'd go the other way and um, that's where life really took a dark turn for me I would stay up but by this time, the dark term was on my terms. I was now doing it to myself instead of other people hurting me. I was, I just, I was like, I guess, I guess I could say a, a switch was flipped within me. Um, and I began to go down a dark path. Um, it was in Dallas at a youth party, nonetheless, that I came in contact with drugs. And um, I remember feeling the feeling of the pain being gone, you know, the flashbacks, nothing, nothing hurt anymore. Um, and that was the first time that, that I, I don't know how to explain it properly. Probably the way that I could say is that was, that was the first time that I prostituted myself. Because I guess the group that I got hooked up with was the people that you really shouldn't be hanging around with, but I didn't know any better. I, I didn't know them. And so I remembered feeling like I the choice was mine and being numbed by the drugs. And I began to get addicted to that feeling. I did get emancipated. I finished 
they made me go back to ninth grade and finish ninth through twelfth. I finished ninth through twelfth all of my books. It was a book curriculum. Finished all of my books um, with a high average at that uh, in nine months. Um, and so I officially graduated high school March of the following year. And um, as God would, you know, maybe a little less, but as, as God would have it go, um, I he did he did free me from it. However, I spiraled out of control and I had a mindset of I did it myself, that I had gotten myself out of it instead of God had done it for me. And I ventured into a very dangerous path. Um, I did come back to New Orleans um, and I started hanging out with some people that I knew from school from when I was here, living here. And um, I was the church girl that went crazy, you know, that went wild. And um, it was like the joke of everything. And I had access to drugs and alcohol and the numbness and I got hooked up with um, being in sex trafficking and um, prostitution and pimps and just the whole lifestyle right here in the same streets now that I outreach to. It's amazing how God can turn a situation. I um, got into trouble with her, you know, here and I, I wanted to get away um, because the drug world and the prostitution world is a very crazy world and that once you're in it's very hard to get out or you know like my husband alluded to that life that that thought process of like you did something for me now what are you going to do from you know what are you, what are you I do something for you now what are you going to do for me it's a crazy world um once you're in, it's hard to come out. But I was addicted to that, and I got hooked on um, this guy from a website, and um, was on my way to see him. And a guy at a bus station, as crazy as it sounds, um, said, "Hey, you look lonely. Why don't you let me take you across the street and have something to eat?" And that turned into well why don't you come to Oklahoma with me and I literally only went there for a few days but the entire time was um you know well remember I gave you that dinner and prostitution really became my lifestyle at that point um the drugs the whole thing and from there I went up to North Texas and a lot happened there. A lot happened there. Uh, some of which I can't, for security reasons, go into. But a lot happened there. And um, I ended up, long story short, um, getting with this guy um, that was that was horrible, really. And he was very abusive. And I found myself back in the cycle of being beaten. And I, the he was into the drug culture, and so the drug use just escalated there. And 
remember sitting on top of a dryer one night. I was so, I was so gone with the drugs. Um, I, I honestly, it's a blur, but one thing I remember, and I, I know the Lord allows me to remember this because it was my rock bottom moment of sorts. Uh, I sat there and I said, God, do you even know who I am anymore? Do you remember me? I said, you know, I need you to help me out of this. I, I, I can't. Here I am again asking you to get me out of a situation. But if you'll do it, I promise I'll serve you. And I wish that I could sit here and tell you that I kept that promise. The Lord kept his side. He got me out of the situation. Um, I was in East Texas, and I was um, thrown out of a window by this gentleman that I was with trailer window and the neighbor saw she came over to help me um the argument was that that him and I were having is that I had gotten into the military and uh signed up and I was going to be deploying soon um I say deploying I was going to be shipped off to basic training excuse me and he was very angry he had that mentality if I can't have you nobody can he uh, threatened to kill me in front of everybody that was there. I got hooked up with the person that recruited me, and I found myself within those next few weeks there again, absent of the drugs, um, because I couldn't be on drugs trying to get into the military like that. I had made a promise that I'd stay clean until I shipped off. And he knew that I was um, a prostitute. And so he used that to his advantage. And I played right along with it. And whoever and whatever he wanted to bring over, it seems like. um, I fell right back into the same trap of this this is who I am. This is who I'll always be, you know. As God would turn it. Um, I had time in the military, um, got my mind cleaned up, got my life cleaned up of sorts, and um, I had a moment in the military where everything became clear for me, and, and I thank God for this moment that I'm fixing to share with you, um, and, I, and I say that with a, a, a bit of hesitancy, but I need you to understand that this moment changed my life. It paved the way for where I'm at today. I was abused by my drill sergeant. This is a case that's gone to court now, and he's he's been punished for what he's done. But I should have died that night. It was that bad. And I remember opening my eyes and the first words that I heard I know it was the voice of God he said see I ran on the just and the unjust the same it was that moment that I realized that all that time that I was in church being abused sexually was equal to what I had just went through outside of church the only difference was the hand of God I I didn't have God at that moment I was very far from him I had an arrogancy about me of I can make it all by myself. See, I can have money and I can have really anything that I want 
by my own doing. I don't need him. Look what he's done to me for all those years. And opening my eyes, I still remember that room. And, and I and I pray I never forget it for this reason. That was that moment that I realized God didn't do it to me. It was life. And that paved the way that I can love the Lord for the years, my years of five to 15, as much as I love the Lord from then, you know, from then till now at 31, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I had that moment in the military because without it, I don't believe I'd be serving God today. And I, and I really feel that way. I really feel like the arrogancy would still be there and that I would still be running from the Lord. Um, as life would turn, um, I, because they were investigating the situation, they allowed me to go on leave. Um, and I was still making money from the army, but I, uh, went into a, an olive garden <laughs> and, um, decided, well, I don't have anything else really I could be doing with my time right now, but work, uh, a, a good job, like a real job. <laughs> um, and I was kind of excited about a new beginning of just like making money the right way. And so I went to Olive Garden to get a job and that's where we met. So I'll give it back to him. Um, and we're going to, we're going to blend the story together. So we'll, we'll take turns talking um, from here on out. Well, praise the Lord. I, um, so yeah, so I was about 20 years old and, uh, in walks in this beautiful young lady and, uh, I decided, well, I'm going to have to hustle her to get what I want out of her and make some money off of her. And, um, so that was my intention from day one. And luckily I was, I said luckily, but I was, um, the, the manager that did all the hiring. I was kind of his, uh, I was kind of his dealer. And so I kind of had an advantage um, with him. And so I convinced him, man, you got to hire her. You got to, I got to get to know her a little bit. You know, I got, I got to hire her. He, she ended up getting hired. And um, we, we looked back at it and laughed because <laughs> I, I would not leave her alone. From day one, from training up until she was on the floor by herself, I would bother her. I'd test her. I asked her for a phone number. She gave me the wrong name. First time I asked for a name. And uh, she was at all costs and wanted nothing to do with me. And uh, <laughs> I just kept being persistent. And then uh, I, I mentioned to her about, uh, I got a buddy that's a photographer. And he, you know, he sets up models and they get into the modeling business with him. And all that was true. And I didn't tell him my real intentions, but... Uh, that kind of got her attention at that point. And uh, so we, we tried to set up a photo shoot and um, we never did that photo shoot. No, thank you about it. But we tried to set that up. It, it, it never worked out, um, but we were communicating at least. And that's when she kind of gave me her real name. And, uh, you know, we just talked a little bit back and forth. And uh, this whole time I had very ill intentions this whole time I'm talking to her. I'm trying to, play like I'm a nice guy and I really wasn't I was a very wicked person 
and had very bad intentions. Um, pretty much with a lot of people I met, I was very selfish and self-centered. And I, you know, what's in it for me is my kind of my attitude with everybody. And you know, I I was raised with uh, three letters: DPA. Don't trust anybody. And that's how I was raised. That's how my parents are. That's how they were. And that's how they raised me. And, um, and so again, we, we met and, um, I did my best to hustle out of her and, uh, well, that just never happened. And so, um, the, the break for us and how we really got closer to one another is that I was living with someone else that was in an abusive relationship of their own. And, um, just they were just you know the person they were with was just violent to anybody that was around and everything kind of blew up one night and the only number I had was his so I was I was very successful waitress um I would work doubles most days and so money wasn't a problem for me and um our problem is I didn't have a vehicle and so I I called him and I said, listen, I'm going to give you an address. I just need you to come pick me up, bring me to a hotel. You know, I'll pay you when we get there. And um, he came. And uh, I, as crazy as it sounds, that was the last time I prostituted myself. Um, and as the things would all turn in a very crazy way, um, I ended up getting pregnant. Um, for our first child and um, I kind of was out of always had like a mentality of being in survival mode and so it was like I, I tried pushing him away and just said you know I raised him on my own I can go back into the military I wasn't really out of the military but he didn't know that um, and I, I said I can make a life good enough for him you know whatever the baby's going to be the baby and I and um, I don't need your help and he said, nope, I'm going to stick around. Right. But we, we ended up, she ended up living from, instead of going back to that home that was really abusive right there in Jackson, she would go from like hotel to hotel. And over the next few weeks, once, um, you know, I kind of had the idea that, you know, well I, well, I got what I wanted out of her. I can leave her alone. And uh, that just wasn't the case. And uh, found out found out she was pregnant and uh i started hanging around more you know staying overnight at the hotels with her and things like that and um and then uh easter happened and we never went to church on easter but i believe it was the week after easter i i said to her now remind you i did not grow up in church (laughs) i did not grow up in any kind of denomination whatsoever my parents I say I say they were, but they probably still are. Were ghetto and hood, and you know, we're just some some old raggedy Mexican from South Central Los Angeles. And so, we uh, I didn't grow up in any kind of denomination whatsoever. But about the week after after uh, Easter, I said, "Weren't we? Aren't we supposed to go to church on Easter? Isn't that something that we're supposed to do?" And she says, "Well, I mean, we could we could have went to a church. I mean." What kind of church do you want to go to? I says, I don't know, but they got to have good music wherever we go. I says, I love music. And I always have. And um, she told me that she met a lady in, um, in in Target earlier in the day. And they invited her to this Pentecostal church. 
And she didn't tell the lady, oh, I grew up Pentecostal. She just said, okay, thank you, and kind of took the flyer from her and went on about life. And she said, well, it just so happens I met these ladies in Target, and they invited me to this Pentecostal church. Now, mind you, I didn't know what Pentecost was. <laughs> I had no clue. I'd never heard of it before that time, yeah. which is sad because come to find out later on that I grew up right down the street from a Pentecostal church, but my neighborhood was so rough, they didn't outreach my neighborhood. And... um and so anyway, we, we, we go into this Pentecostal church and, you know, I walk in the door and, um, all, I, all is like the old movies when the guy walks into the bar and the music stops and everyone's looking at him. That's how it felt because okay. again, I was, I was a drug dealer at, the, at this time. And so I had a lot of money and I had on this flamboyant suit and I had these, uh, stingray leather shoes on, man. I was fly. Like I, I did. And I walked into this Pentecostal church with braids and a beard. And uh, yes. they all turned around and looked at me and was, oh, God. <laughs> I thought to myself, well, I'm not sure you stand out in here. And uh, we sat probably about midway back. The ladies at Target found us. And uh, she said, oh, come sit with, with my family. So we went and sat. And um, I'll never forget the, the guy that was preaching oh, was a... Uh, Cody Marks, and um, he was preaching, and I, I don't remember what the message was about. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, it spoke to my heart. I don't remember what it was about. But I remember feeling something that I never felt before. Right. I remember I, I've been on everything they sell at the liquor store. I had been drinking at that time for 10 years, and I had been on dope. I'd, I'd done a lot of drugs, and I never felt nothing like I felt that day in that church. And what I know now, it was just the presence of God. And I remember an altar call, everybody going to the front. And I thought to myself, man, I'm nervous. I'm not going up there. But I, I'm going to sit here and right now and tell you it was the voice of God that said, everybody else is doing it. You should just go up there and do it. Do it too. Mm -hmm. So I did just that. I got up from my seat by myself. Mm -hmm. And I walked to the front and everybody else had their hands up. And so I just followed suit. I thought, you know what? They're all doing it. I wish somebody would make fun of me. You know? <laughs> and and I put my hands up, and uh, then I got surrounded by guys, and they're all praying with me and got their hands on me. And, uh, they, you know, one guy speaking in tongues in my ear, and, and I was really confused about that. <laughs> but another guy softly spoke to me, and I could, I would say his name, um, but I, I, I'm not going to. But he was a very nice guy. We still got a great relationship. But he spoke very softly in my ear, and he said, have you ever experienced the Holy Ghost? And I said, no, I've, I've never experienced it, never heard of it. And he told me, you just have to repent from your heart for everything you've done, whether you know it's wrong, whether you don't know it's wrong. And you don't have to call it out by name. You just have to repent. And I did just that. I just said, God, if you're real, if this is real, then I, I want what they have. I want what they're offering. And I repented right then and there. And right then and there, right after I repented, the Lord filled me with the Holy Ghost and I spoke with other tongues. Right. And, you know, after a few minutes of doing that, when I kind of came back to my senses and felt this weight that was off of me and this this heaviness that I'd been carrying around for so many years uh, uh, and burdens that I was carrying around, they were just off of me. And they, the, the, the man told me, he says, now that you've got the Holy Ghost, you have to be baptized to complete the plan of salvation in accordance to the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 38 and uh, so I went and I got baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of my sins 
And uh, and I'll let my wife <laughs> say a few words about that. And then the fighting began because when we were on our way home, he was on cloud nine. Like, I, I call it that new convert high. And um, I I didn't get out of my seat. I was so angry. I was so angry. I could not believe that, you know, what, where I finally thought I had my bad boy, you know, that I always, it seemed like I always followed after the bad boy mentality. Now, oh my goodness, he's a church boy. And that was the last thing I wanted. Um, I wanted to be, I still had the animosity within me that I, I want to be as far away from this Pentecostal pew. That's why I never told him that I knew anything about it. It just didn't, I, I wasn't having it. And I remember the drive back to his mother's house. Like He's like, oh, I'm going to have my mother cut my hair. And I was so upset. And I, I said, do you really think this is all necessary? And I, I, I truly was angry. And um, the arguing just kept going on and on um, over the next, well, I'll, I'll stop to say this. But there, uh, well, he wanted to go back to Sunday night service, so I can go on for that, too. I Listen, I was very upset. <laughs> um, and uh, to make matters worse, the pastor says, cross the pulpit, like, to know him is to love him, but... <laughs> The pastor said from the pulpit, um, didn't, weren't you here this morning? And I said, yes. And he said, didn't you have a different man with you? And I froze. The people behind me that had been invited, that invited us said he cut his hair. He got the Holy Ghost this morning and he cut his hair. And he, he had a joke behind that, um, that he said across the pulpit, I was mortified. But when you're already angry, anything makes you just pushed over the edge at that point. And I remember on our ride home from church for from Sunday night service, I was I was unapologetically angry. And he said, What is wrong with you? And I just told him, I said, you know, I've seen the front end and the back end of this. I don't want to have anything to do with this. Um, and he didn't understand what I meant by any of that. Cause at that point I had still not told him that I had ever been apostolic, that I had ever been filled with the Holy Ghost, that I had been baptized in Jesus. None of that had ever came up that I felt like I was just going to go to the grave with. And, um, he said, um, I don't know what's going on. Um, I'm not going to force you to go to church. You don't want to go to you. You don't have to. Um, and it was some time, like at least four to six weeks at least before God was able to refill me with the Holy Ghost. But that there was a lot of healing that was progressive that had to happen to even get me to a point where I was comfortable going to an altar again. And um, God did fill me, refill me with the Holy Ghost again. Um, and that's when we... Uh, well, actually, somebody talked to my husband about um, marrying me, and so it's just a funny story in and of itself. <laughs> so, so about a week after I was filled with the Holy Ghost, my birthday came, 
my 21st birthday and all my buddies. I had told anybody I went to church. I had told anybody about this experience because I didn't know how to tell them. I didn't know how they were going to take it. And then here I am, this hood rat, street thug. All of a sudden, I just want to live for God. You know, I didn't know how to accept it. I didn't know how to tell anybody. And so about a week after I got the Holy Ghost, my birthday came around, and it was my 21st birthday. And so they were like, well, we're taking you to the bar. So I was like, sure, let's go to the bar. Because I wish I could sit here and say that when the Holy Ghost fell over me, all of my addictions and all of my pain was gone. And, and I, I'm sure that does happen. But for me, it didn't happen that way. And I had been battling addiction for my entire life. And, you know, when I got the Holy Ghost, I felt I felt right. But I went to this bar on my birthday and I drank and I actually said to her, I didn't get drunk. And I told her on the way home, I said, you know, that just didn't feel right. I don't think I want to do that anymore. And from that moment on, I quit drinking. And I knew it was the Holy Ghost at that time because, um, well, I know now I should say, because before then drinking was not a problem, never was a problem. And, um, and so, but I felt it, it didn't feel right. It felt different. And from that moment, I stopped drinking. And to sit here and say that I never craved it again after that moment would be a lie because I did struggle with that. I wanted it, and but I never went back to it. You know, I said, you know what? I don't need that. I'm going to live right now. I'm going to live for God. I don't need that. Um, but something interesting that just came back to my mind happened the night before we actually went to church. And I really feel this in the Holy Ghost to share this. Uh, but the night, the Saturday night before we went to church, I got a phone call and, um, Jasmine was at work when I got this phone call and it was two of the, the guys I was, I was in a, in, in the gang with, and they said, Hey, we're going to go hit this, hit this gas station. Do you want to go with us? And it was just a normal robbery that we had done before. And, uh, I said, no, I'm, I'm going to sit this one out. I'm going to go to this. I got, I got to wake up early and go to this thing with this girl tomorrow. I didn't tell them it was church. I was kind of embarrassed. And uh, they said, all right, well, stick this one out. Now, typically, I was like the lookout guy. I would be, uh, you know, there's always three of us who would go in with guns, and I would uh, stand outside the front door with a broom and start sweeping right in front of the front door as if I worked there. And if anybody rolled up and tried to walk in the store, I'd, you know, I'd knock them out. And so if you ever go to a gas station late at night and someone's sweeping out front, just go to the next station. So anyway, uh, I didn't go with them. And uh, I went to church, got the Holy Ghost instead. And about two weeks later, um, we're watching the news. I'm full of the Holy Ghost now. I'm watching the news. And uh, the two guys that asked me to go on that robbery were on the news. Turns out they both got arrested and they both got charged uh, for with double life uh, for murder. Because what they did was rob the gas station and then killed the clerk. And it was completely in cold blood. They didn't have to do it. They had already had the money and everything they wanted. They just turned around and shot the guy. And come to find out, the guy that actually pulled the trigger and was asked why he kill him, his response was simply, I just wanted to know how it felt. And to look back and think that those were the guys that I ran with. That's the company I kept. That's the mentality that I had. I'm so grateful to God that he changed me. Uh, the way that he did, you know. Um, but fast forwarding to when we, uh, lady at the church, uh, talked to us about getting married and things of things of that nature. And so I, I, I prayed about it because I was just learning how to pray. 
and uh, I I got a job. I got a job at a hotel by the church as a night night uh, night guy, and so I'd have to make rounds, kind of like security, and they actually let us live at the hotel. And I was making my rounds, and I was just talking to God, uh, trying to learn how to talk to God. And um, I really felt, you know, now is the time. So I walked into the room, and I woke her up, and I had a little black rubber band like you put on the end of a braid or something in my pocket. And I pulled it out, and I got down on one knee on the side of the bed with that little black rubber band, and I put it on her finger. I said, I want to marry you, and I want to make, you know, grow our lives together and and as we get close to God, I want to get closer to you. And she looked at me and she said, okay. Turn around, went back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was more romantic than that, but that's just how it happened. And, um, you know, we tried to get married uh, the next day, the next week or so. We tried to get married in the county that we lived in. Well, unfortunately, you know, 13 years ago, things were a lot different than they are now. And we were actually told that our marriage would not be recognized um, on their books by, by the counties we lived in, uh, simply because we, we don't look like a couple of Hispanics. We look like a white guy and a black girl. Um, and so we went to another county and they said, no, you can't do it here because you don't live in this county. So you got to go somewhere else. So uh, we, we, we literally had to go to, um, uh, South Louisiana to her childhood pastor to marry us. And, um, he married us right there in his living room. And, um, yeah, the, and, um, the pastor that we were under actually would not marry us either because he didn't believe in, um, interracial marriage. Although I'm actually Mexican and Native American and my wife is Puerto Rican. He looked at us and said, well, you're white. She's black. So I can't marry you. I don't believe in it. So we had to come all the way down to South Louisiana uh, to get married. And so our marriage certificate is from South Louisiana and everything. And um, and from that moment, um, our lives changed quite a bit. Right. And to say that um, the struggle, you know, like ended because, oh, we got the Holy Ghost, so we have no issues anymore. <laughs> could not be farther from the truth and I think that that is as vitally important to our, our testimony as it is what happened beforehand before you know we really submitted our lives to God because um, I still had a, a lot of pain that I had to to grow through and uh, be healed from and I know he um like like he likes to say, he still had that hood that needed to be completely ironed out, and um, we we did, as he you know briefly mentioned, we did go through um, racial issues with inside of the church, um, and it had a horrific impact on our uh, an initial marriage, and um, we would have people like drop notes in my purse and on my pew um, about how we were unevenly yoked because of the color of our skin and that our marriage wasn't um, biblically recognized. And, you know, for somebody that grew up in church and had been hurt and somebody else that had just come out of the hood, um, that probably wasn't the best approach because um, 
we both had um, anger to have to deal with and, you know, um, I'll be very honest with you and those around us at the time know the three facts. Um, we actually left church behind it. We left church for about nine months, eight months, nine months. Um, after that, I, we were, we were very angry and, um, we, uh, when we did come back to church, um, we moved, uh, to, you know, to a different church and whatnot. And, you know, we grew through it. We initially got angry in Beckwood. I'm not going to lie to you, but we did realize that when, when we attempted to go back to, you know, just the craziness of life at that point, we had what, two kids by that time. And, um, you know, going through a lot in our own, in our marriage. And we, we did briefly move back to Louisiana. Um, I think in some ways that that saved our marriage and that that saved or that started a ministry that we have still today. Um, and I'll, I'll let him elaborate more on that. Um, so we moved, um, we moved back to South Louisiana about two years after being married, um, dealt with a lot of racial issues in the beginning. And, you know, I like like my wife elaborated on that. You know, I I told her if this is living for God, I don't want to do it. And we 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 backslid for a little while and never went back to the craziness that we lived before. I'll tell you that we backslid, but we like backslid like Christians. I think if that's a thing, yeah. uh, we went we, we went to a church, but you know we didn't we didn't go back to drinking and drugs and smoking and all that. But you know we weren't in church, so we weren't right with God. Um, and uh, we realized pretty quickly, you know, a few months in, wh- what are we doing? You know, we just, we need to get back in, in the truth. We need to get back in, in the church. So we moved to uh, South Louisiana and um, we got into the church here that my, my wife grew up in. And um, during that time, I had really felt a strong pull to ministry. I really felt a strong calling. You see in the, original church I came out of, they would have quite a few evangelists and uh, missionaries come through quite often, two or three a month. And these were big name preachers. And I always kind of, I don't want to idolize them, but I looked up to them and um, held them on a really high uh, pedestal. And the problem was they all had the same background. They were all like, I'm a 10 generation Pentecostal. Why? My grandfather started this movement, you know, things like that. And nobody I could relate to with my background. And so I always loved them and thought, man, I'd love to do that one day, but I'll never be able to because I don't have the pedigree. And, um, you know, when we moved to Louisiana, I started really thinking about it and praying about it. The God was really impressing me with ministry, pressing upon me, I should say. And um, went to a conference in Oklahoma, a youth conference in Oklahoma. And a brother was speaking from crazy because he's an evangelist and he's from the same area of California that my family's from. My family's still there. And his background was exactly like mine, drugs, gangs, crime, and women. And that was his background. And it was the same as mine. And it blew me away. Like, here's this brother preaching at a conference and he's from the same area I'm from. He did the same things I did. 
and it opened up my mind because before then, I had never heard or met anybody that had my background. And I remember falling to my face in that in that arena on the cold concrete floor in a brand new suit. I fell to my face and I cried out to God. I said, God, if you can use him, use me. And that moment, God called me to the ministry right there on that spot. And uh, about a week later, I went to my pastor and I told him all about it. Told him, listen, I really feel this call to ministry. And um, he was like, well, what ministry are you being called to? I'm like, well, I want to, I think I'm being called to missions, to to evangelism, to preach, things like that. And um, he really took me serious, uh, really took me under his wing and taught me a lot that Bible college doesn't teach you, right. you know, like uh, church etiquette when you go preach somewhere and, and, um, and, and, and things of that nature. And uh, so we were here for a few years under that ministry and I grew so much in ministry and um, got a better job in Mississippi. So we moved back and started going to, uh, we didn't go back to the original church I'm out of. We went to a different church because we didn't want to experience no more of the, the racial tension and things like that. We were doing good in church and we said, you know, we're not, we're not going to uh, go back to that life. We're not going to go back to that and go backwards, you know, and so we went to a different church, and that's when we really, really blossomed. Um, there, um, I will say where we went, because it was, um, their effect on our ministry has a lasting effect, um, and that was the Dillons. Um, we, uh, in Madison, Mississippi, gosh, they loved us through the pain. Um, oh my goodness. I, I can't give them enough um, thank yous and gratitude for all that they really stuck with us through. They taught us both. They um, honored what God had spoke to both of us. Um, and I was still running from a call in my own life because the Lord had put it in my heart to... Um, not just testify what he's done for me, but also to um, preach about his word and his doctrine and all that comes with that. And that was very intimidating to me. But the Dillons um, really, really, really took the time with both of us to blossom both ministries. And, um, I, they, they literally, one of the things that we look back, especially with the ministry we have today in pastoring, is that they taught us to love people, love people, love them, no matter where they're at, no matter what they're doing, love them with everything that you have within you and let God do the rest. And that's exactly what they did for us. And we, as God would do it, they, um, eventually allowed us to go out and evangelize the first time and um we we went out and literally we we went all over the place with the help of the lord with just the testimonies of what god has done in our own lives and our children's lives and us just everything and god god really used it um we and I'll, I'll let I'll let him go from there. So we uh, we went out to the evangelist field and and um, 
it's a testimony in itself because I, we would go out for like a weekend and then we'd come home because my whole thought was, well, I got a good job here. And so I don't, I don't want to mess that up. So let's just go preach at this little church on Sunday and then we'll come back. And, and, you know, so I was, I was kind of comfortable in, in my situation and, and in my job. And, um, the Lord kept pushing me to go full time. And I kept talking to Pastor Dylan about it. And he'd say, Bubba, if, if the Lord's telling you to go, then you need to go. And, and I kept hesitating because, well, I got this job, you know, and, and we just got into this house and, and everything's great. And then, um, the opportunity for us to do independent mission work in Puerto Rico came up. And so, um, we jumped all over that and, um, went to Puerto Rico for a week, handing out, uh, it's a whole other story, but handing out cloth diapers and giving Bible studies and loving people. And then we came home for about two weeks and, um, the opportunity came up to go for a month this time. So, um, we jumped all over that and got the, the, the blessings from our pastor to go and, uh, got a bunch of sponsors. And about a month after that, we were on a plane heading to Puerto Rico and, uh, we were there doing the same thing, Bible study, baptizing, handing out diapers for babies and things like that. And it was just a life changing experience. And this was six months after Hurricane Maria devastated the island. So these people were in real need of what we had. And, um, while we were gone, the home that we were in, um, was flooded and we didn't know it. So we get home and there's black mold about two feet up the wall in every room of the house. And so we had to immediately get out of there. And so we, we salvaged, salvaged what we could and we put it in a storage unit, um, not too far from that house. And uh, moved in with my parents for a little while until we can get back on our feet. And uh, the whole time, the Lord's dealing with me about going out and evangelizing, going out and evangelizing. And I'm just being hard-headed and stubborn to the Lord. And um, about two weeks after the initial flood happened, we get a phone call on a Tuesday. I'll never forget this day. It's a Tuesday. And uh, my wife answers the phone. She doesn't say a word. She just starts crying and hangs up the phone. And I thought somebody passed away, but um, I finally get her to talk to me. And she said, everything's gone. Our storage unit had gotten flooded. And we literally lost everything we owned except for the clothes and the toys that we brought to my parents' house. And as I'm sitting there holding my sobbing wife, the Lord spoke to me. And he said to me, I had to get rid of everything you own so nothing else would hold you back. And from that moment on, we went and talked to the bishop, talked to the pastor, told him the Lord pushing us to go full time. And he gave us his blessing to go full time. And I believe it was either that weekend or the following weekend, we uh, we started out in Dallas, Texas, Hearst, Hearst Texas. And... Uh, we went on from there all over the country. Uh, like we said, we went to 43 states. Uh, you know, with the help of God, we went to Canada. We went, my God, all over the place. Uh, literally, we preached <laughs> on a Sunday in Los Angeles, and that following Sunday, we had to be in Queens, New York. So we <laughs> we went all over the country. It, it's just with the help of God, you know, to God be all the glory. And um, as the years went on of just evangelizing, uh, we found ourselves in the New England district. 
And I will say over that time of evangelism, we, God literally did everything, you know, we're, we're a bunch of, you know, a bunch of, bunch of nobodies, you know, out there and here God a lot has literally allowed us to see, um, several people, uh, literally be able to walk again. They like they left their, their walking devices, whether it be a walker or wheelchair at the altar. Legit. I, I just, um, I'll never forget those things. We've we've seen people with blind eyes healed. We've seen cancer healed. We've seen um, we've we've literally seen just oh my god, so many miracles. We've seen demonically possessed people delivered. We've we've literally seen our own reflection in people that come with our testimony. And they'll, they'll we've had pastors tell us, my goodness, I've tried to raise, reach sister so and so or brother so and so. But tonight they heard y'all's testimony and, and God filled them with the Holy Ghost. It's not about us. It's about the God that's been able to freely work through us. Um, and that's not to say that we've not had hard times. That's not to say that everything's been perfect or, or anything like that. It's, it's not to say any of that. Because at one time, we fell out of the will of God. We were still in church, but it wasn't. we weren't following after the will of God. And my goodness. It almost costed us everything, our marriage, our children, everything. And so keeping in tune with the Spirit of God and the flow of God, even being out there on the road preaching and teaching and evangelizing or pastoring or whatever ministry you're in, you still have to have the sensitivity of the Holy Ghost to keep going and stay in sync with Him. Because if you don't, at any moment, you can lose it all. You can lose it all. And it's not, it's not worth it. I mean, like I said, we have we have been there, and we can tell you it, it's not worth it. But I, what I will say is we have learned to love prayer. We've learned to love fasting. We've learned in our hardest days when people have hurt you, offended you, lied on you, cheated on you, whatever, that you worship. Worship is the key. Prayer is the key. If you will stay in sync in tune with that and press harder and press harder and press harder, then you'll be able to have the sensitivity that, like you said, we ended up in New England. We had a, and this is just a testimony of God, because you know, um, well, if you don't know, the two unlicensed ministers, not uh, not licensed by any, any organization, um, affiliate with several organizations preaching and teaching in their organizations, but never, 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 gotten licensed by any of them we're completely independent god has done what you see before you all by himself on his own and and to god be the glory in that that we had when we were evangelizing and everything turned and i'm not talking about in the bad way i'm talking about in a different direction which everybody has a ministry moment where they say well that was my turn for us it was in new england we had a four-month schedule that was book solid, and that really doesn't happen to evangelists. I mean, it might happen to some, but it, it's not its not the norm. It's the exception and definitely not the rule. We were out there with our entire family. I had just had a baby on the road. That was crazy, just craziness uh, in a good way, but just crazy. Um, 
And for those that you that don't know, we have five boys and a girl. Um, and there's a testimony in that um, for another time. But we had just had a little baby girl. And I was not with him at that point. But the Lord spoke to me and he said, would you go home and start a church? And I froze. And when I finally came to my senses, I jumped up and I ran into the office where he was at in the evangelist quarters. And he looked at me and he said, the Lord spoke to you. And I remember breaking at that moment because I knew what it meant. And I knew what it meant. Um, and I said, did he say, I think my words exactly were, was, does, did he say, would you go home and start work? And he said, that's exactly what the Lord spoke to me. And I remember crying because I, there was, I, I was nervous. I wasn't fearful. I was just nervous as to what this would mean. And, um, I would not be being truthful if I say, you know, that the enemy didn't try to play with my mind. How are you going to reach people that you walk the streets with? What are you going to do if you see so-and-so or this or that and the other? And, you know, I got myself into so much trouble. You know, a lot of people don't realize this, but I got myself in so much trouble that several years ago, I actually had to change my name because People were mailing letters to my mother's house saying how they ever found me, it was over. And so I I was, I, that was a lot for the Lord to speak to me. And I had to know that it was the Lord that would bring me back here because if, he, if I stepped out of the will of God, I knew it was going to be over for me. And I, my husband looked at me and he said, we can do it if the Lord has really spoken this to us. And I know he has. And I said, well, what about the next four or five months of schedule? What about all these pastors? You know, you know, they're counting on us. He said, let's take a break from the road. What we now, well, we now know it to be sabbatical. Take a little sabbatical and go um, down Louisiana. Let's just stay after the Lord. Um, and in the process, we had gotten confirmation. So we had went ahead and filed our paperwork with the state of Louisiana and I had already flown down. God gave my husband the name of the church. I'd already flown down, started viewing properties, areas, you know, that we could live. And, you know, the process was already started and it paved the way for us to um, really come down. We came down for bought and um, he said the Lord had to, the Lord had to, we put up some safety gates there. We fleeced the Lord. Like, it feels like we fleeced the Lord like a gazillion times. I know that's not realistic. We were, we were so comfortable evangelizing that we were so successful. We're like, God, this, we got to make sure this is from you, Lord, before we, before we just jump on it. I mean, you know, having that kind of schedule booked out as an evangelist is unheard of. And so we, um, came down here and the Lord I say it this way the Lord sent someone to find us on the floor in the balcony 
of POA, which if you've ever been there, it's a humongous, if you've never been there, it's a humongous church. And to find somebody at BOT is like finding someone in the needle and haystack. But the Lord sent somebody to us that did not know us. And that was important to us and a part of the police. And he told my husband. He said, I've seen you around here quite a bit. And the Lord kept telling me to tell you this. He says, I don't know why, but the Lord told me to tell you to go there and start a church. And I knew from that moment that it was God. And that afternoon, uh, after you know, right when that happened, I, I told my wife what happened, and we began to rejoice in the Lord and thank God for His confirming word from from a well-known prophet of God, um, somebody that I've only heard of, but I never really met him, and uh, he didn't know me. He found me and delivered that word to God. And um, that afternoon, I began to, uh, in faith, call pastors that I had scheduled out. And tell them, listen, I'm, I'm, the Lord's spoken to me that I'm going to go start this work in New Orleans. And, um, you know, we got the blessing from uh, our pastor and, and all that stuff. And um, and so we, we left Alexandria and um, we came to New Orleans. We, um, we came here and as crazy as it is, the day that we got to New Orleans, we had a house. Not because my wife came down and spotted it and paid for it and all that, but no, because we followed after God. Somebody in our lives told us, look for a seven-day Adventist church to rent because they don't use it on Sundays. I said, oh, it's brilliant. We'll do that. It turns out there's one seven-day Adventist church in the lower ninth ward of New Orleans. Went and saw it. Uh, nobody was there, but there was a for rent sign across the street, and we followed that for rent sign around the corner to a house that was for rent. And next thing I know, the uh, realtor's there, and then the owner shows up unexpectedly. And and the owner shows up and says, yeah, y'all can get in here. Y'all moving today? And uh, all we had, Lord knows, all we had was a five-by-eight trailer that we pulled with our expedition that had our whole life in it. We had all of our clothes in it, all of the kids' toys, the kids' clothes. And that was pretty much it. We didn't have anything for a kitchen, no beds, nothing. And would you know the Lord provided everything that we needed for that house within one month? We had couches, we had beds, we had everything we needed because God gave it to us. And another just quick testimony, when I moved here, I thought to myself, you know, I thought now remember what I said, I thought to myself, I'm gonna have to get a job, I'm gonna you know, because I was a part of the carpenters union at one point in time and there's the carpenters union down here, so I'm like, Let me look into this, try to me a job and working there so I can do that da, da, da. and the Lord spoke to me he says I didn't call you here to work a job I called you here to build a church and so for a little over a year now um, us being completely independent not part of any organization that would financially back us um, the Lord has completely sustained us this entire time that we've been here and in that, the beautiful testimony is that we've never been more financially stable um, ever in in our lives. I mean, it it was it has literally been the hand and the working of the Lord in the midst of everything. You know, I I want to take a couple steps back to point this out. You know, we had like I said, the four to five month evangelism schedule book already. And um, now 
Now think about it. In December of 2019, yeah, there was whispers of coronavirus, you know, but it wasn't here. You know, it, it, we kind of thought, oh, well, that's just going to stay wherever it started and it's never going to be here. Who would have ever thought that the last what, year, year plus, year and a half or so, you know, give or take, would, would consist of what it has been. But following the voice of God, check this out. It literally saved us because if we would have said, well, I will start the church when we're done with our, our schedule that we already have. We're going to fulfill the schedule and that's that. We'd have been stuck out on the road with no church to go to because churches shut down because of COVID. But the Lord had us perfectly positioned, like Pastor Jason preached one time, perfectly positioned on purpose that we were safe because we listened to the Lord to come down here and we started our midweek services, you know, in January of 2020, just from our own home. And the Lord sent us a harvest before we even had a Sunday service on the books, which happened ironically a year ago today, mm-hmm. uh, March the 15th, 2020, we um, launched the New Orleans Apostolic Haven Sunday services. And um, we started from a Walgreens parking lot, <laughs> an old Walgreens parking lot, vacant parking lot. And the Lord has, like you said in the beginning, um, allowed us to now have our own property. Well, we don't have a building on it yet, but um, we do have a building um, in sight. Um, we would have to, you know, the Lord would have to provide the money for that. But, you know, at this point, I know there's nothing too hard for God. And as God would do it, um, he has sent us amazing revival. Um, and this yesterday we had our anniversary services because, you know, we couldn't do it in December because COVID was really, really bad here in the city of New Orleans. And it was cold. And um, yesterday we had uh, 48 people. That's 48 souls and in service with us and we looked around and yes we have had um we had had people um to give us maybe that number before but they were maybe like visitors from other churches that were just coming out to support us i'm talking about 48 new orleans apostolic haven members and that was phenomenal to look out and see and know each and every one of those lives and the moment we met them and just how how much God has really worked through them and their lives and their children's lives and healings that have taken place at, at Noah. And it, it's, it's not us. It's just the God factor. And I'm so excited to see what God's going to do going forward um, and, and through all this. And I know, yeah, um, my husband doesn't have a job, um, uh, like a regular job. Only thing that he has is, is the church. And I can tell you that that scripture in the Bible says he's never seen his righteous forsaken or seed begging bread. That is the way that it's been for us. And that is just a testimony of what God will do through faithfulness. And it, you know, to say that he has free time. Well, that we have free time is laughable. Um, 
because um, there's always work when you're building a brand new church. Um, and that's exciting because in the last year, we've been able to start the food pantry, which is the storehouse at Noah. And the Lord has blessed that work um, as well. And uh, we're excited. We're just simply excited. We're excited. Um, we've had high moments where things have been great and awesome. We've had the low moments where you don't know where what's going on. And you, you, you just realize, you know, what we realized these last couple of weeks, things are just falling into place for the perfect will of God to really take place and go forward. Yeah, it's, it's really an awesome thing that God is doing down here. And we've truly got a uh, something that we envisioned and prayed for. We have a multicultural church. We've got Guatemalans, we've got African Americans, we've got Caucasians, and so it's it's a wonderful. And we seem to be the only one in the ninth ward with a modern multicultural church, and it's such a such a blessing. And we are the only apostolic church in uh, the lower ninth ward. In fact, there's only three apostolic churches in the entire city of New Orleans. You're talking about one and a half million people. There are three apostolic churches. And um, so they're just, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful to God that he trusts us enough to do this. And we could go on for hours and hours and hours about all the miracles, signs, and the wonders that God has shown us down here. Uh, but in a nutshell, that... Uh, that that is our testimony as of now in uh, in short form, and uh, we're grateful to God to be able to share uh, all of what He's doing uh, on this podcast and uh, with all of you. And we pray that it's a complete blessing for everybody that listens. Amen. You know, I'm absolutely amazed at the faithfulness of God. Um, it's hard for me, uh, as a pastor, uh, it's hard for me as someone who God pulled out of the world to look at people that struggle trusting God because stories like yours, stories like mine, so many stories like ours around the world of God just keeping his hand upon people, ordaining their lives, taking them out of what seems to be hopeless situations and turning it into something so beautiful. Uh, God is such a poetic God in how he does things. Um, And God uses the most unlikely of candidates to Amen. propagate his word. And right. uh, you, you talked earlier in your interview about pedigree. The truth of the yeah. matter is I don't, I know that people tend to make a big deal out of that sometimes uh, in apostolic culture. Um, But you know, that is not the determining factor. That's right. I, um, I am a fifth-generation apostolic. My children, my sons are all preachers, and they are sixth-generation apostolic ministry. But in spite of all of that, that never kept me from the world. Wow. Um, I, ended up, I ended up in the world uh, 
during my formidable years uh, from about 12, 13 years old uh, till my mid-20s. And uh, our testimonies are uh, very, very similar in, in nature. And I tell people this all the time. I said, you know what, it's almost as if God loved me just a little bit more than he loved everybody else (laughs) because of how good he has been to me in spite of me, in spite of my past, in spite of all the, the things that I did, God really stayed faithful to me and, and in ministry, um, you, you talk about how God positioned you knowing that COVID uh, right. would soon be 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 lurking right on the right right here on on top of our nation, and um, the same the same type of situation uh, happened with me and my wife, and uh, the arrangements that God had made. The, there were churches around here in our area that it destroyed their churches. Their churches closed up oh. left and right. They're 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 no longer even there anymore. But God had ordained provision for our home missions church well in advance and 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 has saw us through this this last year um it it just amazes me how God does things you know there there's another side to this, and I found your story to be very interesting because um something i I picked up on and something uh I've dealt with in my ministry and, and, and my wife in being married to me, her being a part of my ministry um, is, is sometimes you can be misunderstood. Sometimes you can almost feel like, like you're not like everybody else. You feel almost as if um, you're almost unrelatable. Uh, right. to, to, yeah. to to other ministries and other other things going on uh, in the apostolic movement and and th- there can be a lot of opposition there can be a lot of a lot of no's uh, there could be a lot of doubt right. but but if you can push through all of that and keep your eyes on what it is that God, you know, the truth of the matter is, uh, Pastor McKee, um, nobody will ever see the vision the way you see the vision because, because God didn't give them the vision. He gave it to you. Right. They'll never understand the dream because God did not give them the dream. He gave you the dream. We've we've had some naysayers. We've had people that, that, People that literally told us, wow, you're going to build the church in the gates of hell. Yeah. yeah We've absolutely. had folks to tell us that we're committing spiritual suicide because we were so successful in the evangelist field. Folks, uh, they called us stupid. They called us ignorant. They, friends that we had for years, completely turned their back on us because they said to us, this is not the will of God for your life. And they turned their back on us. But like you said, brother, they, they didn't see the vision. Because God, God didn't give them the vision; He gave it to us. You know, I think that's part of ministry, and I think that's a part yeah. of it that going through a troubled past, going through situations, it 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 tends to acclimate you. 
uh, me and my wife have been married now for 24 years. And I'm going to tell you something. The things that we went through in the world together, uh, the times that she spent alone by herself while I was locked up or the, 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 the torments that she went through with all the violence and, and the different things that went with that drug culture lifestyle that I was involved in. All of that, it, it, it seemed to do something to us that when we got into ministry and we started facing the church hurt and we started facing uh, the, 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 the things that came along where you can be easily misunderstood uh and, and 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 people tend to have a hard time maybe relating to the ministry that God's given you. Uh and you feel almost like an outcast in a way. Right. It's right. those it's those situations. It's almost as if it's almost as if through all of that God said, I'm gonna use all of this to acclimate you. Right. So as when these things right. happen, it doesn't destroy you. Right. Yeah, and, it and, gives you a, a thickness. Ab- absolutely, you know, and, and and I tell people it it's not you you can't let those things cause you to become jaded, but you right. have to look at those things and embrace them and say, you know what? And my wife says this all the time. She she she'll laugh and she'll say, "There's nothing that life can throw at us. There's nothing that the devil can <laughs> throw at us that can." can destroy us because we know how strong we are. We know how committed we are. And I think in this day and age, in this society that we live in, it takes a special kind of person to go out and plant a church. It especially takes a special kind of person to go out and plant churches in areas that are completely, completely impoverished that are riddled with yeah. violence yeah. and drugs and alcohol and, yeah. and, and what uh, epicenters yeah. of hell. Right. Uh, and, right. We're, we're, was, we're not talking about pastoring in Mayberry, South Carolina. Right. We're talking about <laughs> pastoring right. in areas that, that, that where, where there is demonic oppression. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, I pastor in a little town called Raymond, Mississippi. We're in the headquarters town of the United Pentecostal Church, Mississippi district. And so Jackson's about 10 or 15 minutes away. Grew up in the streets of Jackson. And, and I deal, we have a multicultural church and, um, you know, I deal with a lot of young men that, uh, their past is gang related, drug dealing, uh, prostitution, pimping, and, and all these different uh, things that go with with that uh, particular lifestyle, that hip-hop culture and just all the things that, that, that go along with that. And I, I tell these young men, the, the way you see yourself is not the way God sees you. That's because good. God's That's looking good. at something when God looks at you, he's not looking at what you are, but he, he's looking at what you can become. Yeah, that's and, true. And so, um, you know, I, I think 
I think a lot of times when you're really, really in the will of God, it's going to be very unpopular. Why that is, I'm not very sure. But typically when I face a lot of resistance, me and my wife will laugh and say, well, we must be in the will of God. Because <laughs> nobody nobody exactly. agrees. Nobody <laughs> agrees. Nobody's supporting it. It's obviously the will of God. Um, right. You know, when you're under when the devil's attacking you, you're doing something right. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we always say. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I just, again, um, I'm amazed, but I'm also encouraged because for, for our listeners out there, you, you may have a similar background. You may be going through some similar issues. You know, one thing that, that, that really amazes me is, is, is how, God brings you out of the world, brings you into the church, and then you end up facing hurt from people that's supposed to be your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can expect to be mistreated by the world, but you never expect to be mistreated by your own. And my wife and I, had we, we went through some major church hurts and, and uh, some situations, and, and my wife would cry herself to sleep at night. And, uh, but again, we, we lived through that. We pressed through all of that and it's, it's, it's given a depth and a dimension to our ministry that, you know, we would not have had, had we not gone through these situations. Uh, again, they're not, they're never comfortable situations. They're, they're, they're always unpleasant when we're going through it, but you know, the old adage, what doesn't kill you? only makes you stronger. You know, there's a lot to be said in that. That That's very true in a lot of ways. Uh, it, it does make us stronger people. And I appreciate you taking the time to share your testimony with all of our listeners. Um, it means a lot that, that you would uh, trust our audience enough to, to share with us and and again, I, I hope that, that our listeners out there, I hope that that their testimony can give you hope. And there may be those of you that you're 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 um, you're, you're feeling that call to ministry, and you're saying, "But I'm not qualified. I'm not I'm I'm not good enough. I don't have a background in ministry. I don't I didn't come from a long line of preachers or or whatever." Um, I think the gentleman that you were referring to. And, and as you told the story, I I kind of picked up on it and I chuckled to myself because I, I believe the gentleman you were referring to when you went to the conference in Oklahoma was Ari Prado, correct? <laughs> That's exactly who it is. And so, <laughs> so, so anyways, I, I, I kind of sat here and I laughed and yeah. said, you know, he's, he's referring to Ari Prado. Um, I yeah. was, I was in that meeting, Ari, Ari's a, uh, oh, a friend wow. of mine and, um, he is a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, uh, man of God. He uh, is pastoring a church there in the Bay Area. But Ari Prado is my wife's favorite preacher. I don't think there's anyone on this planet that she would rather hear preach than Ari Prado. He's phenomenal. And, and it's phenomenal. because he, he, he just, he's a simple man that knows how to get down where you're living at. And uh, he, he doesn't try to give you a polished message, but he, he ministers to you from his heart. 
And, uh, you know, in the day and hour in which we live, this is what people need to hear. They don't need to hear a polished shoebox message. What they need to hear is they need to hear the hurt and the passion. They need to feel the pain and the message. Um, because we're living in a world where people are hurting, people are struggling and they need hope, man, they need hope. And, and, uh, a pastor friend of mine makes this statement often. Uh, and I believe he may have got it from maybe C.S. Lewis or Sprawl or, or one of the other theologians, but he always makes this comment and he says, the gospel is only the good news if it gets there in time. And the truth of the matter is this, we're racing against the clock. The old song says, work while it's day, because night is falling. And and, and brother, the, the sun is setting on the landscape of this world. And, and there's almost 8 billion people, and they desperately need to hear the truth of God's goodness. They need to yeah, hear the message of repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the promise of the infilling of the Holy Ghost that will empower you to overcome right. all addictions and all hurts and all pains and all tragedies. Right. That Holy sure Ghost does. transforms you. And it takes the old, and it creates the new. And um, I appreciate your ministry. I really do. We're going to be praying for you guys. Um, I look forward to having you back on the podcast again. Folks, this is the longest podcast we have ever done, one hour and 57 minutes. So we're, oh my God, we got a world record here on the Axe Network. Um, oh Jesus, we, we, we're going to talk to the producers. We we may break it up into two two parts uh, or three. We'll see what happens. We may just roll with it, folks. Uh, if 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 their testimony has touched you, if it's if it's helped you in any kind of way, if it's if it's given you hope, if it's encouraged you, I would encourage you to reach out to these people. Send them a love offering. Send send them an offering. Let them know how much it means to you. Pastor McKee, if if someone wanted to get in touch with you in the New Orleans area, um, tell tell our listeners how they can go about getting in touch with you. If you don't feel comfortable putting your number out there, you don't have to do that. If you have an email address or social yeah. media, anything. Also, if they want to send you an offering, uh, whatever ways right. they can go about doing that. Uh, give us that information real quick. Right. Well, um, I, I, I appreciate that. I didn't mean to take that long with our story. Praise God anyway. Um, but um, my phone number, if anybody would like to reach me uh, by phone, I don't mind giving up my number. My phone number is 504-509-1020. Our uh, email address is the same as our church, New Orleans Apostolic Haven. And that is spelled exactly like it sounds, New Orleans, and then Apostolic is A-P-O-S-T-L. No. I'm sorry, I will let... <laughs> New Orleans Apostolic, A-P-O-S-T-O-L-I-C, Haven, H-A-V-E-N, at gmail.com. And our catch-up is 
dollar sign. It's not dollar sign. Yeah, dollar sign um, N O, and then it's apostolic spelled out A P O S T O L I C Haven H A V E N. Um, we do have PayPal that is linked directly to the church account, which is the New Orleans Apostolic Haven at gmail.com. All right, and folks. And you can also find us on um, Facebook under the same church name and whatnot. All right, folks. So that's New Orleans Apostolic Haven. They can be found on Facebook. They're in the lower ninth ward of New Orleans, Louisiana. That is going to be on the East Bank. And you can send them an offering via Cash App. That's going to be dollar sign N O Apostolic Haven. Dollar sign N O for New Orleans. Just the letter N, the letter O. Apostolic Haven spelled out. Send them a love offering. Let them know how much it means to you that they would share their testimony in a word of encouragement. Pastors, youth pastors, Bible teachers, church planners, anyone out there that would like to have Pastor and Sister McKee to come minister to your congregation, feel free to reach out to them. If you got a meeting or a conference or a marriage seminar or, or, or whatever you got. You may be doing counseling and dealing with uh, trying to reform gang members or, or, or whatever the situation may be. These folks can be a blessing to you. These folks can come out and minister to your church and be a blessing to you. Um, you know, folks, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it, it's not easy in ministry when, when you have kids. Um, we have four children. Thank God most of our kids are all grown. I still got one uh, This 14. The rest of them are grown men. But um, the McKees, you, you have, y'all have six or seven children now. Well, we are working on our seven. Uh, we have five boys, and then we had a baby girl, and now we are expecting our uh, sixth son. Uh, he'll be here in a few months. Wow. And um, so I, I just... Uh, I feel bad for my baby girl. <laughs> Amen. So you have a hard wow. time dating. So, so they got six and yes. one in the oven. Amen. Yes. So they need, our they oldest need... is, our oldest is 12. So they're all at home. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Absolutely amazing. Um, so folks, these, these, these people are running a, a, a feed the children network. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. I tell people all the time, I said, well, I'm involved in nonprofits, but you know, my, my, the one that takes up most of my time is the feed the children network. I've been running that now for <laughs> been a father for 23 years and, uh, Lord have mercy, but folks reach out to them, uh, look them up on Facebook, let them be a blessing to you until we meet again. May the Lord be with you. <laughs>